The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Everybody, welcome to That's Odd. I am one of your hosts. I am Johnny Townsend. I'm joined by uh, the guy who is uh, the bestest thing since the bread that was sliced. That's Christopher Chavez. Boom, bing, boom. Oh, no. (laughs) That's me calling in on Skype because my Skype dropped out again. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm doing better than you, apparently, uh, when, it, <laughs> when it comes to technology. Uh, so just so everybody knows, uh, we're hoping uh, that the curse doesn't come back and bite us again, but Chris's internet is acting awfully cursy over there. Yeah, yeah, acting a fool, acting a fool. Yeah. Uh, I was in the re- middle of recording an episode of Silence Your Phones. Go check it out on the network. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, I was in the middle of a, a long diatribe when all of a sudden Skype was ringing me back, and my co-host said, hey, what happened? Yeah, what's going on here? What is it? Uh, that's and that's Sun Out Your Phones is a podcast about movies. So if you like movies, yes, sir. go check it out. But this is a podcast about well, typically, right? History Creeps is a, is a podcast about history and creepy paranormal things. That's odd. We try to stay on that odd side of things. Today we're doing something a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with today's climate, as of this recording, this is um, you know this we're recording this in June of 2020. At the beginning of June, um, obviously, uh, uh, you know, things in America especially, but it's kind of went all over the world now, Yeah, are uh, really starting to, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Boil over. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's like uh, a, there's... It's a tinder box that was waiting to, to kind of go off, and it, feel, it feels like somebody lit a few matches and threw them. Yeah, quite literally, and a few times apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so of course, uh, I mean, everybody knows this. George Floyd was obviously murdered by a police officer who just wouldn't stand up for whatever reason, uh, and he was a black man. And this has happened way too many times. I mean, it's yeah. I'm saying this as a white guy, and it's not even my place to say this, but right. Uh, you know, it's definitely ridiculous. It angers me. So we've have. And I will say, most of the protests are very, very peaceful, as they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think the stuff they show on the news of um, of the violence and stuff is, even though it's obviously happening, we can't say it's not happening. Right. But they're definitely making that the aspect of the news way more than the peaceful protest. And uh, there's been plenty, also plenty of things I've seen where even the police are actually with the protesters. You know, um, which is also how I think if I was a police officer, um, I would be ashamed of this. I honestly, I'm ashamed of it as a white guy. Uh, very ashamed of this It's 2020 and we're, and this is still a thing. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so we kind of figured for our, that's odd. We would sort of kind of go along with what's happening right now. Um, the one that I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm being honest with you. I had never even heard of it. Same until uh, until I was listening to a podcast, a sports podcast of all things, it was a basketball podcast, 
and the coach for the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, uh, was talking about this. Like this was brought up to him by one of his players, and he was like, "I've never heard of that." And I and I had to admit the same. And I'm a history buff. I love right. history, right? And all my, aspects of it, dude, and mine as well. That's I think that's the idea behind today's episode is that we wanted to kind of bring light to stories from history that, yeah. um, for I mean. And I, it's it's crazy, but it's not really if you think about it, right? Uh, we hadn't heard of, and we hadn't heard of it because if you think about what we're taught in school, we're taught about the Egyptians. We're taught about, I mean, we were taught about, you know, the the civil rights movement and that stuff. But yes. when it comes to more modern history, like more recent history from civil rights and, and, and you know, a little bit before and after, it just feels like it's always kind of glossed over. We don't ever really go in depth into what's going on and and where we are now based on what had just happened in the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and it could, I mean, you know, it's time constraint too, I'm sure, but I just feel like when it comes to, and I think I've said this before on this show, uh, when it comes to teaching history in schools, I think we have to get to a point where we start glossing over all the early, early stuff, because I mean, sure, I need to know about caveman and sure I need to know about Mesopotamia, but let's be honest. I think what happened maybe in the sixties or seventies or eighties has more of an impact on culture and society now. So I should be able to learn that as in depth as possible to understand where we are now. Now and how to go how to go forward in the future you know yeah i'm in north carolina so i'm in the bible belt i'm in the south here uh, out of most of the south overall i do think and feel free to correct me on this i do think north carolina is kind of looked at as more as one of the more progressive of the southern states uh but it's still a southern state yeah. um you know uh it's still plenty of uh you know southern pride down here as, yeah. as they like to say and I, I am honestly very proud to be from north carolina i love my state i'm very proud uh sometimes we'll do things i'm not proud of but <laughs> overall but i think it's any state you live in yeah. it's not just the south yeah yeah so uh, but i do remember growing up i've always loved history uh especially the civil war era i always was very fascinated by it mm-hmm. and it and that i will say i, I might have just been lucky I had some good teachers but they never ever tried to gloss over the slavery or, you know, or how black people were treated. That yeah. was very much a very big part of it. Um, and how they were just pr- treated like property, literally property. They mm-hmm. didn't even have a full vote. They weren't even counted as a full vote no. <laughs> when they got to vote uh, yeah. at one point. So, um, yeah. So again, I'm, uh, I want to say all this for forgetting this. I'm a white, I'm a white man. Yeah. I know that, uh, honestly, this is not my time to speak up on this, but I do a hundred percent support uh, everyone you know, especially black people right now, that their black lives do matter. Yep. And it's kind of ridiculous that we even have to say that. Agreed. In 2020. I agree, man. But that's the importance of this episode. This episode, we wanted to bring uh, a couple of things that had happened in recent history uh, that, again, for some reason or another, a lot, a lot, a lot of people uh, had never heard of. And and the right. thing is, is and, and let's I'm just going to say it right out there. You know, a lot of people who aren't of color had never heard of because I have a lot of black friends who have heard of these things and they've known about it. It's part of their history. And so it's 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 people need to know some of these things that have happened in the past so that we can learn from them and not make those same mistakes in the future. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to start uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, in 1921. Uh, we're going to start with the, it's called now, uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, before it was called the Tulsa Race Riots, and I'll get into to that too. It's, this whole thing will probably make you pretty angry. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I was quite angry about it, but here we go. So after World War I, uh, racial tensions actually kind of spiked and got a little higher. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan kind of resurged during this time. Uh, lynchings and other racially motivated violence was happening. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, literally there's all kinds of of things that happened where, like, black men were in a car and they were just chased down for no reason. You know, those type of things. And terrible things would happen to them. Uh, so let's go to Tulsa, Oklahoma during this time. We're in the 1920s. Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually, at this time, uh, was quite rich. Uh, they had actually found oil there. So it had a lot of wealth in this area. And this did include uh, the... Um, well, we'll get into that. Okay, so the population at this time was around... I don't want to get ahead of myself. The population <laughs> at this time, is uh, in 1921, was over 100,000. So you had over 100,000 people in Tulsa, Oklahoma at this time. Just to give you an idea... Uh, of how much that is today. And well, in 2018, it was over 400,000, uh, Tulsa during the 1920s, as with a lot of areas during this time was highly segregated. Uh, but they did have a neighborhood that was called Greenwood in Tulsa. And this neighborhood was mostly black residents here. And it was actually one of the few black areas in the country with some wealth. This area had many black owned businesses, uh, a lot of the people that were wealthy, in fact, they said that a lot of the black residents here actually had more money than a lot of the white ones, and that was probably another s- source of why this happened. Jealousy. Uh, you know. Um, and this was actually even called Black Wall Street. It had a nickname. And it was doing mm-hmm. quite well for itself. So let's go to May 30th, 1921. A teenager, a black teenager by the name of Dick Rowland, I think he was a. Sh- I heard in one of the things I watched, he was like a, a shoe shinesman. He would shine shoes. Uh, he went next door to where he was working to a building called the Drexel Building, and this building had an elevator. And this was during the time where you had operators in the elevator. And this operator was a young white girl named Sarah Page. And we don't know exactly what happened, and we'll kind of get back into this when we come back around here, but. What we do know is that at one point she screamed and Dick Rowland fled. He, he ran away. And then he was arrested the next morning. And this is where rumors start to spread. The Tulsa Tribune, which was a newspaper there during this time, uh, actually had a front page report of this. And they called it a sexual assault that uh, he had sexually assaulted this young white girl. So that evening, a white mob. This is also to give you an idea of during this time. This is where... Mob mentality definitely ruled. Uh, lynchings still happen. Like a mob would go out and lynch somebody. Even in Tulsa, uh, I saw a report too where uh, it, before this, like in 1920, um, a white uh, teenager had done something. I forgot what it was, but they ended up lynching him themselves. Like a, a mob came and took him yeah. and the sheriff and the police did nothing about it. Uh, and that was with a white kid. So, uh, So that evening, a white mob formed outside the courthouse. And they wanted the sheriff to hand over the team. Uh, on the bright side, I will say the sheriff did refuse to do that. And then, and he and the police actually tried to protect the team. They actually barricaded the area that, and all that, which is good. I mean, that's good. They should be doing that. Jeez. The 9 p.m. We're going to 9 p.m. This is when around the, the word spreading, you know, the word spreading here. You got to remember, this is kind of before television. So newspaper was definitely the biggest way to learn your news and stuff. So that uh, Tulsa Tribune having that having that was really uh, adding flames to the fire. 
but, but but around 9 p.m., around 25 armed black men showed up to kind of help protect the teen and guard him. Uh, many of these were World War One vets. The sheriff returned them away. However, just an hour later, they would show up with even more. So it ended up being around 75 armed black men would show up. However, uh, 1,500, so over 1,000 armed white men also showed up. And then shots fired. Uh, I saw many different reports. Nobody really knows who fired the first shot or what actually started the first shot. But we do know that chaos kind of assumed from there. Uh, the highly outnumbered black men, it was 75 to 1,500. I mean, that's hugely outnumbered. Uh, retreated back to Greenwood. That was their neighborhood. And this is when groups of white men, some who were even given weapons by city officials now, uh, went out and just started doing horrible acts. Uh, they violent acts against black people in Greenwood. They looted, uh, they burned homes and they burned black owned businesses down for over 35 city blocks. They did this. Uh, they said that firefighters actually even testified in court that when they would try to show up to put these fires out, white people with guns threatened them. So they had to leave and they couldn't do anything. Good Lord. Uh, it's estimated at this time, at that time, that uh, over 1,200 plus homes were burned, over 200 homes were looted. This included churches, schools, newspapers, and many black-owned businesses. The official tally, and I'm using the word official in uh, quotation marks, so please note that we're going to come back to this. The official tally at that time was 36 people were dead, and that included 10 white people. We're coming back to that. Uh, in hours after all this happened, uh, the National Guard does show up, but by the time they get there, it's all kind of already, you know, stopped on its own. Uh, so in hours after this hor- horrific scene, the charges against the Dean uh, Dick Rowland were actually dropped, and he was released. Uh, they apparently, what I read on a couple of different things was they kind of think that he maybe just stepped on her foot or something, and he did, and he didn't mean to, and she screamed because it hurt. She never pressed charges against him ever, and he ended up and he was released, and he actually left Tulsa, and he never went back, which I do not blame him. Um, but Tulsa would rebuild, and they would also during this rebuilding attempt to kind of hide what happened. Uh, just to give you an idea, the KKK was very prominent and had a and was quite strong in Oklahoma during this time, and for decades there was a cover up. Now, the Tulsa Tribune, that original newspaper that had that on the front page, uh, in their library, you can actually find pictures of this, uh, in their library, where, you know, in most counties' libraries, they actually have an archive of the newspapers. I know even my my county has that. <laughs> and uh, the Tulsa Tribune, where that paper was, that actual article's ripped out. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's re- It was rarely mentioned in the history books or schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even orig- like I said, they originally called it the Tulsa Race Riot instead of the massacre, which it actually was. Uh, and then in 2001, they actually went back and did a real study of it, and this is what they actually came to. These are actual conclusions. Over out over 8,000 people lost their homes and were homeless. Uh, this was and also remember this is all uh, in less than a day's time. This is about 18 hours in 1921. This happened and. They do believe between 100 to 300 people, the number could be between be between any of that, or the actual number that lost their lives. 
Um, and it was all tried to, they all really tried to cover it up. Now, recently, they kind of passed the thing where you, you have to teach this in Oklahoma schools, at least. I do remember, I mean, I'm not in Oklahoma, but we were never taught this. It was the first time I, I saw any of this or read about any of this stuff. They said in one of the things, like this, uh, this black guy was in a movie theater just watching a movie, and they came in and shot him. Uh, for, you know, just because he was black. So this was something that happened that they tried to cover up. And that's, I think that's even the worst part. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's terrible that all these people, all these people, especially these black men lost their black men and women and children, by the way, um, lost their lives. And I think today, uh, one of the documentaries I watched on YouTube, I think today they said that all the survivors from that have actually passed away now. Uh, but, they had a few interviews with them and like they were children obviously when this was happening and they were talking about being uh you know woken up in the middle of the night by their parents and having to flee from their homes in the middle of the Jeez. night for fear and i couldn't even imagine that uh so man what an awful awful thing that i think is very much something we need to need to remember and they have since then gone back and um i think they've had they've honored it you know, honored the dead mm-hmm. since then, but they'll, I don't think they'll ever know the actual number of how many people lost their lives. That's insane, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, again, you I'd never heard of that before ever. Not until recently, not until I heard it up, brought up recently that I was like, what? I'd never heard of this. And yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy, man. And, and, and I've always, I've always known that as the, uh, as, as you, you've heard the phrase, the winners write history, right? Yes, it's a sad yeah. thing. I think, and in, in now in, in this day and age, I think with the technology and with all the the, the information we have, that's probably not going to be the case anymore. Because no matter how much they want to, you know, rewrite or cover up certain things, uh, there's always going to be people who remember and are going to speak out about it. Yeah, and the, and this is to me, this is a chance to learn and to become better. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you know, it's what it should be. Uh, and we can look at honestly, Germany. For an example, you know, obviously during World War One and Two, especially Two, where those horrific acts were, were done against the Jewish people, uh, where so many of them during the Holocaust lost their lives. Uh, but Germany now uh, is a actually has a great economy now. I think it's one of the strongest in Europe now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came from literally nothing because after World War Two, they were they were nothing. They were decimated. Yeah. So um, they learned from their mistakes and. Uh, you know, it's easy for me to say because I'm not over there. I'm sure they try to <laughs> look yeah. past some things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, just like the South kind of does no, on but, a few things. But you're right, right? You is, you, you want to know these things again, like I said earlier, so we can yeah. learn from them and move forward and get better. Right. Um, and not do them again. Exactly. Uh, like the one I'm about to tell you about. So, again, this I had not heard about until uh, – this everything has been going on and then this information came out like you know that hey this isn't just you know this isn't just a one-time thing in 2020 or from the 90s you know the la riots this is this has been going on for a long time there's a lot of stuff that's really involved here and there's a whole lot of stories that we don't know about because it's kind of been lost to history or nobody really talks about it so had you ever heard about the fact that the city of Philadelphia dropped a bomb on its own people. Like an actual bomb. An actual bomb. Wow. So this is going to So to tell this story, I have to kind of go back a little bit, right? Um, there was a guy in Philadelphia by the name of Frank Rizzo. 
he was a police officer and a politician. He was a he was police commissioner in Philadelphia for a while, and then he was the mayor as well. Um, he was not a good dude. This guy was straight racist. He was as a mayor, he was against. He was a strong opponent of desegregation. He did not want to desegregate Philadelphia schools. He felt they should be segregated. He would constantly prevent construction of public housing in any majority white neighborhoods. Um, When he was running for a third term as mayor, he literally urged supporters to vote white. That just puts a little bit of a background on this, right? So this Philadelphia, when he was, uh, just so you know, in his tenure as a police commissioner and uh, mayor, the Philadelphia Police Department engaged in patterns of police brutality, uh, intimidation, coercion, and disregard of constitutional rights in particular towards African-American community. The patterns of police uh, brutality were actually documented in a uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning series by the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, written by William K. Marymount and John Newman. So this guy already has this kind of mentality. He also had the kind of mentality of law and order. Like, that was his thing. His strong stance is law and order, you know, People should not. I saw an interview where he was being interviewed and he was saying, you know, all of these people who go out and do all these protests and the things that they're protesting in the street. He goes, you know, they say they're standing for, for this or for that. But if they go back to their countries and they try to do that protesting, he goes, it wouldn't happen. Those countries would 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 sh- shut them down, would kill them. And then he literally looks at the camera and says, yeah, we're going a little too easy on people here. So that's the way this guy thinks, right? Um, yeah. Here's another, another, uh, another, just kind of example. Um, apparently, he used to he used to quarrel with the the city's mayor. Um, he's also a, a one time they, there was a, a anti police demonstrators. He saw, and you know what he's this is exactly what he said. He said, "quote When I'm finished with them, I'll make Attila the Hun look like a and it's the derogatory uh, term for a, a gay man." Um, so he says this to the news. He has no problem mincing words. And this is the kind of the, the mentality this guy has. And when he's in charge of the Buffalo, uh, uh, I almost said Buffalo, holy cow. Uh, when he's in charge <laughs> of Philadelphia Police Department, he made sure that, you know, there was police presence in these neighborhoods and, and to, to, you know, intimidate the African-American community. Unfortunately, around that same time in the, in the 70s, uh, even late 60s into the 70s, there was a group, uh, an organization that had kind of that had come about. They were called Move. Have you ever heard of them? M O V E. No. Doesn't stand for anything. It just means move, like the movement. It's a black liberation group that was founded in 1972. Though some people say it started years earlier. Uh, it was founded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, by John Africa. So that's his taken name. Uh, his real, his born name was Vincent Lepart. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, John Africa found it and a guy by the name of Donald Glassy, a social worker from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, so the way it worked was John, John, John Africa chose this name uh, to say that they intend to basically to say what they intended to do. The idea of move is a movement. We wanted to make it a movement. Everything on Earth is alive and it moves. If you don't move, you're dead. Right. And that's their mentality. Um, I'm getting a lot of my, I, I got, I did a lot of research on this. I saw some documentaries. I read a bunch of articles, uh, and I found one article that lays down all of the, the kind of, uh, all the things that happen in a nice order. So I'm going to use that the most, but I am, I am also referencing Wikipedia and some of my other, uh, other, um, 
references as well. So anyway, Move is short for the movement, and it's unclear when it began. Uh, so what I'm referencing here is a website called BillyPenn.com. This guy writes a, a website for Philadelphia. It's all about Philly. Um, so the move is the short for the movement, and it's largely unclear when it began. However, some people have reported remembering the group as far back as 1968. Its founder and leader was John Africa, a man born Vincent Lepart, who was a handyman for a housing cooperative at 33rd and Powelton in Powelton Vi- Village. It's a small p- part of th- Philadelphia. Donald Glassy was a Penn grad student who had strong beliefs about social rights of the poor. After he met Africa, he apparently transcribed 800 pages of Africa's ideas and thoughts into a document that would become known as the guidelines and the backbone of what MOVE stood for. Basically, what they stood for was everything that's unnatural. They they were against unnatural things and man-made things. They they are about nature. They were very much into animal rights, human rights. Um, They they believed that a lot of technology and a lot of the things that was being pushed on, they were almost kind of like, what do you call it? Oh, what's the name? What's the name of the not the Quakers, but what are the ones that that they don't use technology? Amish. The, um, yeah, they were almost like the Amish. It's it seems like from a lot of the things I read and heard, uh, they made sure to eat raw foods, tried to stay away from processed foods, uh, fruits and vegetables, that kind of thing. Move wanted to stop man's system from imposing on life, and their mentality. Life is a free thing. It's an organ. You're an organism. You're free. You're you shouldn't have like the idea that there are lights that say stop, slow down and go shouldn't exist because there shouldn't be something telling us when we should move. Do you know what I mean? That's that. That's the way they saw things. Um, they taught that man made creations would harm water, air, food and soil and pretty much anything that's that would affect your lives uh, is being harmed by man made things. So move started when Africa's friends and family would sit around with him and study these 800 uh, page documents, uh, the document that was put together. And pretty soon they started to bring in more people who were kind of like minded. And if you're thinking about the 70, late 60s and into the 70s, um, you're talking about, you know, college students, Black Panthers, uh, businessmen, nurses. They had all of these kinds of people coming in. But I threw Black Panthers in there for a reason because they were they were attracting people who had this mentality, this mentality of organizing and standing up for the rights and and doing what they could to to fight oppression. Uh, by the late 1970s, it was speculated that there were 57 active members and more than 50 supporters uh, who would uh, people who would deliver food and uh, goods to the group. So after several years of being based in the Powelton village in the 70s, people around them started to notice that these guys were weird. And I say they're weird because they decided that um, all the men and women all started growing their hair in dreadlocks the way their their leader, this this John Africa was wearing. Um, you know, they would have they, they believed in in uh, animal rights and, and they they didn't think of animals as possessions. So they would have like a whole bunch of dogs. I think I saw somewhere where it said that like 30 dogs, you know, in, that lived with them without, you know, collars. And so th- these people who are living around them in, in this neighborhood are like, these are, these, these people are a little too weird. They're too commune living, right? This is a neighborhood. This is commune. This is a society. This is not what you should be doing. So they started to complain about, you know, the garbage that was left on the, on the sidewalk. They were complaining about the odors coming from the house, unvaccinated dogs, um, they were also complaining that the children were being neglected because the way this 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 uh, organization believed was that they were going to teach their children. So they educated them. They didn't send them to schools. 
Um, but kids could be seen in the backyard running around naked all the time because they believed that clothes were, were not good for, for a growing body, for, for children. So uh, they started making all of these com- complaints, right? So when the complaints come in, who has to come in and knock on the door and say, what's going on? The police. So this is where it starts to get a little, uh, you know, it's not doing so well. Every time the police would come out, they would start to see that, you know, who these people were, what they were doing, um, you know, and obviously Rizzo's not liking this. He doesn't like that there's this group of people that are saying you shouldn't live this way. Uh, you have to be a certain kind of way, you know, to him. Not only is it, is it a radical line of thinking, but he's also looking at them as African-Americans and he's not he's not having this. Right. Yeah. So they decided that the, the move uh, party, I, I'm going to call them party. This organization decided that they're going to start like ramping up their their protests because they wanted to make statements. So in the mid 70s, they'd start protesting places like the Philadelphia Zoo for keeping animals in cages. Um, They would attend public meetings and protest block parties. In 1974, they started protesting police brutality, uh, which at the time, like I said before, was a big deal in West Philadelphia, which is is a large black community. Um, And that was where they started to get respect. When people started hearing them saying that the police are, are doing this and we need to stop, that they were actually standing up against police brutality, they started to get more followers and more people supporting them. And... Rizzo does not like this. What he also doesn't like is their form of protest. So we've seen peaceful protests, right? And you've also seen rioting. But these guys were were angry in their protest. They had no problem screaming and shouting, and they would use curse words. They would curse a lot when they're when they were you know protesting. And you know you can't go out in the middle of the street and just curse your head off. It's not okay. It's it's it's. Weird. But if you're the but if you're the mayor, you can just say. Horrible things, basically, and it's fine. Basically, yeah. um, so in in just in the year 1975, over a hundred, uh, the move members were arrested more than 150 times over a seven month period. Uh, and you know, during these arrests, it's not the most peaceful arrests either. So there was a whole lot of 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 things for them to be upset about. This is where it starts to go bad, right? So the year 1976 um, is like that's the year where the clash between the police and the move the the move organization comes to a head so move or organization members had just been released from prison and gotten out of jail and had gone back to their their neighborhood um they had a for lack of a better term a headquarters they had a house in the neighborhood that that's where they all lived it's it's that's that was their headquarters so they were all out there you know their their family and friends were there to welcome them everybody was happy that they were back and then they you know were having a good time you know kind of having like a, a little street party or or whatever house party uh neighbors complained that they were too loud they were being too loud so the police came in Police came in to say, hey, you need to break this up. This is too loud. You're, you guys are, are, are a little overboard. And then it started. There was fights between the police and the members of MOVE. Um, police said that as soon as they showed up, that the bricks started being thrown their way. Um, where And there's a lot of uh, other people who were in the neighborhood that said that wasn't the case, that you know they could see that there was an instigation on the sidewalks in front of the house. Um, a MOVE member, Phil Africa. And, oh, here's the other thing. I forgot to tell you this. Um, so the guy who ran this thing is called John Africa, right? Anybody who yeah. became a member of Move, you ended up changing your last name to Africa. It's about being a part of the family. 
So every time you hear Africa, it's because it's another member, but just the same last name. So move member Phil Africa claimed that they were actually followed by an undercover police from prison and then were attacked when they got home. Three of the members uh, were charged with aggravated assault against police officers. During this time, Move will claim that the police officers killed an infant, one of their infants, a, a newborn baby, that they, the officer had no problem just coming in and stomping them. Uh, police say that didn't happen, that there was no baby in the room uh, or, or, or around. And, and when they were asked to please turn the body over for an autopsy, the Move members uh, declined. However, I did see an, an, another documentary that held um, – it was basically after the fact of everything that had happened here. So they were interviewing all different people. And there was an officer there that did talk about um, the remains of a baby being in the room. So, But he wasn't sure how the baby had died. Really disturbing at first here, right? Uh, yeah. So anyway, later in 1976, the charges against the police were dropped. But the three MOVE members were accused of assault, became the first members to be sentenced to long prison terms. By 1977, they started being uh, move members started being spotted with weapons. So what would would happen now is they knew that they were under attack by police. Now the police were focusing a lot of their attacks on them. So they started standing outside of their house, like on like as if they were on posts, you know, guard posts, holding what looks like semi-automatic weapons or sawed-off shotguns. Never used them, just holding them, right? I think we saw that recently when people were upset about being quarantined. There was a whole yes. militia of people that walked up to, yeah. you know, Capitol buildings with guns. So these guys... We, were, get, we get really upset when we can't get a haircut. Yeah. These <laughs> guys are upset that they're getting beaten down. They're not going anywhere but standing on their property, but they're standing there holding the weapons, right? Right. Not okay. So the city promised it's going to keep up a, a massive police presence so that they could arrest any move members that had weapons charges. At any given time, there were reportedly 100 undercover cops in the area. So it's already starting to escalate a little here, right? So right. this happens next. August 1978, the city has an eviction order for the moves Powelton Village home that orders the police to raid the house, get everyone out, and bulldoze it. And firefighters... Uh, would have to come along and help. So what they would do is they would turn hoses on the house. They would shoot like water cannons into the house trying to flush people out. Deluge tanks were positioned close to the home where they discharged columns of water directly into the basement. Move members were physically pulled out of the house by police and violently arrested. A massive shootout ensued. They tried to get in there and literally a shootout. One of the officers, officers J James J. Ramp, ends up being killed in this shootout. Now, the police say the move members shot and killed him. The autopsy showed the bullet entered through the back of his neck. So move members would constantly from then forward say there was no way it was them, that this was friendly fire. It was a bullet from the police that had killed their own person. That wasn't enough, right? So during this arrest, you know, once that once that the standoff ended, they ended up arresting a bunch of people. One of the things that happened was there was a guy. Um, oh, I wish I got his name. I don't have it here. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, I don't know. I, I can't find his name. But one of one of the members of, of the move, uh, one of the Africa guys, I'm going to call him Mr. Africa. You see him and it's there's actual TV news footage of it. Right. And that's how I remember watching it. He's crawling out of the window from the basement and he's walking to the police with his hands up. 
and you see one cop take his helmet and just swings down as hard as he can on top of the guy's head, knocks him to the ground, and then the police just commence on beating the crap out of this guy. All caught on film, right? All caught on the news. So this is not helping what's going on between the two, the, the this group and and the police. Right, just making tensions rise. Right. So as soon as those people are arrested and left and, and, and are taken away, immediately they bulldoze the place down. It's not even like a day later or they call in. It's, it's like they were ready to go. They had everything ready to go. They just bulldozed the place down. The nine MOVE members that were arrested would go on uh, to prison sentences that were a maximum of 100 years in prison each, and they would become known as the MOVE 9. Uh, the group, as the, they were known the MOVE 9, and there would be all of these kinds of protests and demonstrations that were people were trying to say, free the MOVE 9, that they were framed and that they hadn't done anything wrong. Um, and then one, one of the things they were saying is that a lot of the guns that they pulled from the house weren't working. They weren't able to be used. They were prop guns. So and they did find some that were working guns, but most of the guns they had were not real guns. So in 1981, Move relocates to a row house at 6221 Osage Avenue in Cobbs Creek area of West Philadelphia. Again, neighbors continue to start to complain about the trash around the buildings, confrontations and bullhorn announcements. Like it's, it's because it starts to get to be a little bit too much, right? So after a few years of this happening and the cops coming in and messing with them and that this just nonstop back and forth and you can feel year after year that tension rising higher and higher and higher, right? Police obtained arrest warrants in 1985 charging four move occupants with crimes including parole violation, contempt of court, illegal possession of firearms, and making terrorist threats. Mayor Wilson Good. Now, Wilson Good was the first black mayor uh, that became mayor of Philadelphia. He and police commissioner George Sambor classified MOVE as a terrorist organization. So what ends up happening is police go out to the area and they start evacuating residents from the area, from the neighborhood. All the people around them are being told to go stay somewhere else and you'll be allowed back in 24 hours. All the houses around this house are being evacuated. On Monday, May 13th, 1985, nearly 500 police officers, along with city manager Leo Brooks, arrives in force and attempts to clear the billing and execute warrants. And they turn off the water and electricity to hopefully get them to come out. Commissioner Sambor reads a long speech addressed to the MOVE members that starts with this. It's not the whole thing, but this is what it starts, okay? This is what the guy, he's a, he's a commissioner for the city of Philadelphia. He says, attention, MOVE. This is America. You have to abide by the laws of the United States. And when they didn't respond, they started the process. So here came the water cannons again. Uh, they were shooting in tear gas, all different kinds of tear gas and things to get these people out of the house. Um, one of the documentaries I watched was a, a an interview with one of the, the MOVE members that was in the house at the time. And she talks about how everybody went down to the to, to the basement and they were doing everything they could to just kind of keep cover because water was just pouring in from all over the place. Uh, tear gas was filling in and they were trying to cover themselves with blankets just to, so they could breathe and, and, and not suffocate. Um, again, there was an armed standoff with police who lobbed tear gas canisters at the building. The move members fired at them and a gunfight with semi-auto automatic and automatic firearms ensued. Police, listen to this. 
police used more than 10,000 rounds of ammunition in, wow. into the house. It, it went – so much rounds went into that house that one of the guys that, that was uh, on this documentary was saying that they sent somebody to go back to the station to get more ammo because they had they were running out. They wanted to just light this place down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and since that wasn't working, the mayor and commissioner decided they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna take it a step further. So what they did, uh, from a Pennsylvania State Police helicopter, Philadelphia Police Department Lieutenant Frank Powell proceeded to drop two one-pound bombs, which the police referred to as entry devices. Made out of FBI-supplied Tovex, uh, Tovex is a water gel explosive compound um, used, uh, composed of amu- ammonium nitrate, and uh, I'm not going to go into all of it, but it's basically it's a it's a water gel explosive, okay, a dynamite yeah. substitute, and targeting the fortified bunker-like cubicle on the roof of the house. You can see this. This this pull it up on YouTube. They had you can watch the news footage from that day. You can see this helicopter come and hover over the house, and then this little satchel just kind of drop down, and then the helicopter takes off, and then there's an explosion. The resulting explosion ignites a fire from the fuel, uh, from fuel for a gasoline power generator stored in the rooftop bunker. The fire spreads and eventually destroys not just the home, but approximately 65 nearby houses. If you go on google and just type in philadelphia bombing you'll see an aerial shot of that neighborhood the block and you will see this hole of all the different houses that were just destroyed yeah there's a lot of uh quite a few intense pictures you can see of this 65 nearby houses although firefighters had earlier drenched the building prior to the bombing as i told you with the water cannons after the fire broke out officials said they feared that move would shoot at the firefighters so they held them back one of the documentaries i said i saw said that they intentionally said, don't put the fire out, let it burn, let them burn. So, uh, yeah, good. Mayor good would later testify in 1996 that he had ordered the fire to be put out after the bunker had burned. Sambor said he received the order, but the fire commissioner testified he did not receive any orders. So just think about this. These, so this group was very vocal and yes, they were, that's the whole point of a protest, right? That's the whole point to, to protesting something or holding demonstrations is to disrupt. It's not to make you feel comfortable and and things are going to be okay, right? It's not about, you know, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed and everything's fine. It's about disruption. Sure. You're not going to like it. That's the freaking point to, to protest because you want things to change. You want to disrupt what's comfortable at the moment. So they lived weird, sure. Um, a lot of the accusations by the police regarding their violence towards police, again, came from the police side. There's a lot of people who weren't a part of the move mo- uh, movement who were neighbors or people in the neighborhood who would back up everything these people were saying in regards to why, how the police treated the, how, how they treated the neighborhood, right? Yeah. All of that, you want, and, and, and you're targeting a house full of people, 11 people, John Africa, five other adults and five children aged seven to 13 died in the resulting fire. 
Ramona Africa, one of the two move survivors from the house, said that the police fired at her trying to escape. And that was another report. So she and, and a, a boy, a little boy named Birdie, both get out of the house. And they're running through a literal wall of fire to get out of the house. They both still, or she does still to this day. He ended up dying um, a little while ago, unfortunately, uh, an accidental drowning. But she still has burns on her arms. In the interview I saw, you could see her whole side of her arm has that burn, you know, when you look like somebody's been in a fire. Right. But she said, you know, as soon as they were coming out that they were shooting at her and she had to like drop to the ground and it was it was it's insane. But yeah, man, the mayor had no problem saying drop a bomb on the people of the United you know States. This really, you know, what this really reminds me of uh, this is Waco, right? Yeah. Well, um, this that's the thing. So this however, happened, this yeah, happened. Was, yeah. yeah. And a couple of years later, Waco happened. And so no one thought about this anymore. Well, also, I kind of think, if we're being honest, Waco was mostly white people, too. There you go. I wasn't going to say uh, it, but no. No, but you're right. You're right. You're right. 100%. Whereas this, it was about about getting rid of a a population that was was inconveniencing you at the time, right? Yeah. A a bunch of, both of these groups, uh, Waco and Move. Move is still around today, by the way. Yes. Uh, I saw that. Uh, But yeah, um, both these groups live would live weird or strange compared to what we would think would be normal. I guess Mm -hmm. like you were saying, you kind of went to a little bit of what movie did, but the same thing was true with Waco. However, Waco is something you hear about. There's documentaries on Netflix about Waco, you know, uh, but this is the first I've heard about this. And the thing about Waco is when you heard about insiders telling you what was going on, it wasn't good, right? Like like right. Koresh was was kind of a, a, a psycho and he was abusing people and yeah. he was taking advantage yes. of people. Whereas when you heard from insiders of the move movement, nothing like that at all. Nothing. Like the kid right. that escaped, that ended up escaping, one of the show documentaries I watched was filmed when he was probably, I don't know, he was a couple of years older than when it had happened. So they're interviewing him and talking to him about it, right? It was It's like a the DA and somebody else because they had this big commission as to what happened and, and, you know, how could this have happened? What's going on? And so they were interviewing him and they would ask him, they would say, you know, did they ever hit you? He said, no, no, no. You know, would they ever whatever? And Nothing. It was no no abuse. None of this weird sexual sharing of wives thing. You know, all the things you hear about from the inside. Yes, you know they were very kind of gr- you know rough around the edges in how they delivered their message. But it, I mean, it it, it it comes down to, you know, you can only ask something so nice, something for so so many times in a nice way before you have to start. You get annoyed and you start to yell or scream so that people finally listen to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important difference too, between Waco and that is Waco. Like the, the main guy there obviously was a problem. I mean, it's definitely an issue. He was doing some illegal things and some awful things to other human beings there in that, in their own area there. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying there, I think is very important. I, I know I've seen a lot, especially on Facebook and such people trying to figure out why, uh, some of these protests have gotten out of hand and, and I'm not sitting here saying that I'm glad businesses are burning because I'm not. These are people who work very hard, mm-hmm. especially the small businesses. Uh, so I understand how devastating that could be. I'm not sitting here saying that's a good thing. Obviously, it's not. However, if like me and you are in a room, right? And it's me, you, and a th- we'll just say Anthony. Just throw in a third person. And I want to say something, and I'm trying to say something. I say, hey, guys, how about this? But you both are talking over me, and you're not listening to me. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? I talk a little louder. Hey, guys, what about this? And what happens if you're still not listening to me? 
I'm going to yell and I'm going to scream. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what's happening here. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Um, so Good ends up appointing an investigation, investigative commission called the Philadelphia Special Investigation Co- Commission, uh, a.k.a. the Move Commission, and it was chaired by William H. Brown III. And that's what I was telling you about. So in this documentary, it's during this commission. So it's 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 1985 footage uh, when they're talking to these people. Um, the police chief, the, the commissioner Sambor resigned in November of 1985. In a speech the following year, he said that he was made a surrogate by Good. Uh, the commission issued its report on March 6, 1986. It denounced the actions of the city government, stating that, quote, dropping a bomb on an occupied row house was unconscionable. Uh, following the release of the report. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> following the release of the report, Mayor Good made a formal public apology. No one from the city government was criminally charged in the attack. Not one person. Nobody was criminally charged. Think about this. 10,000 rounds of ammunition. Tear tear gas, water cannons, and a bomb. Children died. The person who got prosecuted was the one adult surviving member of MOVE. Ramona Africa was charged and convicted on charges of riot and conspiracy, and she served seven years in prison. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 um it blows your mind. Um so yeah, it ends up, you know. A lot of the members of the main nine were still in prison um, as of last year, even. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was about to ask you that if they still were. They yeah. started to release them. Let me pull this up real quick. Uh, oh, it doesn't say here. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Member. Uh, let's see. So the nine members of Move that were charged, they were charged with third degree murder and Ram's death, and they became known as the Move Nine. They were sentenced to a maximum of 100 years in prison. They were Chuck Delbert. Oh, Delbert. That was the guy that got beaten up as he, he left the house. That was beaten up by the cops. So Chuck, Delbert, Eddie, Janet, Janine, Merle, Michael, Phil, and Debbie were all arrested. So at age 47, Merle uh, ended up dying in prison. Seven of the surviving eight members first became eligible for parole in 2008, but they were denied. Uh, In 2015, at age 59, Phil dies in prison. Uh, June 16, 2018. Wow, just a couple years ago. Debbie uh, Sims, who was 22 when she was sentenced, was released on parole and reunited with her 39-year-old son. She had given birth to him a month after she was in prison, and he was taken from her a week later. Um, wow. yeah, right. Uh, Michael Davis, uh, the husband of Debbie was released in, in October of 2018, May of 2019, Janine and Janet were released after 41 years, June, 2019, Eddie was released on parole. Delbert, the one that was beaten up by the cops was granted parole December and released in January of 2020 this year. So at the beginning of this year, the guy who went through this, right, was released uh, two of them were released this year. Chuck was released from parole in February, both over 40 years in prison, just to witness what's happening today. Wow. It's still happening. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's – and it feels weird for me to say anything just because, like I said before, I'm a white guy. Yeah. So, obviously, I don't understand everything that people whose skin just happens to be a different color than mine go through just just for that. Yeah. Um, it, I couldn't imagine cause I have friends. I literally have family members who are mixed and man, I, and they're really good kids and I would hate, and I would hate if something happened to them just cause of their skin color. 
but that's the sad thing, it, right? Like, yeah, that's your family, and you know, no matter what, they're already at a disadvantage. Already, exactly. Already, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah it's tough, man. Um, but and then one more thing too, real quick. I've seen a lot of this where people are responding to Black Lives Matter with the All Lives Matter thing. Um, I think what people aren't realizing is when you say Black Lives Matter, you obviously all lives matter. We're, you're not saying that everybody else's life doesn't matter. That's not what you're saying. Right. Of course all lives matter. I mean, it's obvious. Of course they do. But also, this is just what black people are going through, and then their lives do matter too. Right. Um. So you know, and if my cousins, you know, I would I would be quite upset if something happened to them. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 strange, but I think this is a opportunity of for change, for real change, and I think we're going to get it. Um. And also, I will say, I know people get tired of this, and it's easy for me to say. Because every interaction I've ever had with a cop has been very positive. Uh, I've never had, even when I was pulled over once for speeding and I was nervous as I'll get out, that officer was very nice to me because hmm. he could tell I was nervous. Uh, but I'm, but also I'm white, so and I recognize yeah. that I'm not. I have p- privilege there. I'm not saying that I don't, but uh, so I do truly feel, and I do know personally know a lot of police officers who are very good people, um, and are against this. And I've seen, and we've seen it. And, you know, where police officers and stuff are actually marching with protesters and are wanting change as well. And I was trying to understand, too, because I know this thing's going around where people are wanting to defund the police. I think it's one of the things they're trying to do. And my first thought, honestly, was, you know, what for? What what would that do? But then I saw this tweet somebody put, he goes, you know. It's really funny people are getting upset over this defunding the police when we've been defunding education for Boom. decades now. Boom. I saw that. That is our problem. Yeah, I saw yeah. the thing about how quick we were able to put armor on every cop out there, but you know, nurses and doctors yeah. are still having trouble getting stuff to protect them from coronavirus. It is a, it's a crazy yeah. thing, man. You know, there's it's like you said. Um there's good people. There's bad people. It is what it is. But yeah, and all in every group, it is one hundred. You're gonna have good and bad. I wish yeah. I wish I could share your sentiment. I wish I'd had good experiences with police, but unfortunately, I'm you know I'm half Hispanic, uh, and I right. did live in Florida for uh, almost all of my yeah no all of my twenties and into my thirties. So there was there was a lot of times that me and cops did not get along. Um, Right, you know, and I and I that's that's why I wanted that's why I wanted to make sure that people I was putting out that I'm white. Yeah, and I and I <laughs> and gotta I say, my, you know, yeah. and that's not all because I have had good experiences, but again, I I I can't even come close to saying, you know, anything for what anything you know that any African American has to deal with on a daily basis. I'm not even close to that. Right. Yeah, I've had some bad interactions, but nothing like that. So, uh, I think I, well, I would I would say too though, even the Hispanic community has to deal with some of this too. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely not just, you know, for, for black lives. Right. Um, I mean, obviously they deal with it the worst, it seems, uh, but I would dare say, and you would know, you know, Hispanic people deal with this too. And uh, Asian people yeah. do too, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's sad. It's still a sickness in, in our country, right? It's still something yeah. that we've not been able to flush away or, or vaccinate away. But I think what's happening now, I think you're right. I think because it's so, I don't know, I feel like this is different than a lot of them. Not that we're going to have 100% sweeping changes, but I think this is going to affect a lot of things. I think there's, it's making people 
think more. It's bringing awareness to a lot of people who weren't aware. And that's the important thing. The important thing about why we love history so much is because it teaches us lessons and we're supposed to try to learn from our mistakes to get better in the future. Yes. So I'm hoping at least that these two episodes, even though they weren't creepy or, I mean, uh, they, they were, they're definitely disturbing. Um, they're a part of our history, but I hope people walk away from it, you know, learning something. Maybe they'd never heard of this before. And if it makes you, if it makes you stop and think, if it makes you uncomfortable to think of something like this having happened, uh, Number one, that's a good thing. If you're already starting to feel uncomfortable, that's a good thing. But two, I, I would say dive deep into it and what what can we do so that it doesn't happen again? What can we do to make sure you know these these massacres don't happen again or they're not dropping bombs on the citizens of our country? Like like, come on. Yeah, and I and I truly feel education is one of the best things we can do. Uh, the younger generation, I think seems to even though I've, obviously i've had my issues with them when they don't know who johnny cash is and that upsets me quite a, quite a great deal but you know they seem to be doing a better job overall of showing empathy um and trying to learn and deal with things uh sometimes they may go too far on certain things but you know that's another issue for another time yeah but, um i'm really hopeful that with better education and with learning and when i say education i don't mean just look at one site for stuff i mean really dive into it look at multiple different sites on the same subject uh either that type of deal don't just watch one news source watch multiple news sources for one subject because whether you want it or not it's going to be slewed like it's going to be skewed to somebody's opinion where they even mean for it to be it just will because it's going to be coming from you uh, so try to learn from all aspects of a thing and learn what's happening and what's going on. Um, be smart, really think about things. And the biggest thing that I was always taught, I grew up in a Mennonite church and Mennonites are basically, <laughs> I guess, basically hippies with, uh, but we just don't have flowers. Movement, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, very much into peace, you know. Uh, so that's the kind of church I grew up into. We're very much about the teachings of Jesus. And I'm not pushing this on anybody. But this is just how I grew up, uh, of Jesus, and he showed love and compassion to all. Um, and one of the things I learned in that church that I'm very grateful for was to, even though I can't fully understand what somebody else is going through, I can try, I can attempt to put myself in their shoes mm -hmm. and at least try to at least a little bit understand what they're going through. And maybe that will change my mind on how I feel about things. Um and I'm not saying I'm sitting here, I'm the best person ever. I've definitely screwed up plenty of times. I've said things I'm very ashamed of because uh, I thought they were funny or whatever when mm -hmm. I was younger. I'm very ashamed of those things now because I, thankfully I grew up. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think this is a learning experience for everybody. Yeah. Um, and we can all learn from this and grow and be better in the future. I hope so, man. I really hope so because there's a lot of times when I just have so little hope for humanity, but... Yeah, very understandable. <laughs> I mean, hopefully we have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. So so I'm all done. Yeah, I'm done too. Thanks for joining us. Uh, stay tuned. We honestly really appreciate all of you who listen. Um, we, we This show is a passion of, of ours and Carter's too. Uh, so we thank you all for listening uh, and giving us uh, a chance to enter your ear holes. There you go. <laughs> uh, we're very grateful for it. Uh, so uh, be safe out there. We love you all. And thanks for listening. And of course, stay 
Oh, I'm done.